Hi, I'm Ben Lowell, and this is Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, we have our last program this week in your Heaven series. Yeah, and, uh, that's it. It's been a fantastic program, uh, but really interested in where you're going today to finish it off. I want to talk about, you know, maybe there are emotional issues, but I think the Bible does talk about them. What is it that I'm going to miss about this earth? I think some of us deal with that. What is it that I'm never going to miss about this <laughs> earth, right? So let's talk about that yeah. because some of us, I think, are wondering about this sense of loss as I'm moving towards my own death. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to that. And uh, join us in just a moment right here on Truth and Life Today. You know, when Kathy and I were getting very close to our wedding day, we, I was young once. <laughs> but when we were getting close to our wedding day, we had this conversation. We wanted a Bible verse somewhere that would be the theme, not only of our wedding, but really our married life. And we settled on Micah 4, verse 5. It says, though all the people walk each in the name of his gods, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God. And then the word comes forever. Now, Kathy and I had known enough about the Bible that we knew that our marriage wasn't going on forever. I mean, we knew that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, that they will neither marry nor be given in marriage in heaven. So, you know, whatever marriage is, it's a temporary thing. It lasts as long as we both shall live. But we also believe that we are going on forever. We are not going to go on forever as husband and wife, but we were going to go on forever and serve the Lord. We were in a partnership to serve Jesus and our service to the Lord and our walking after him was an eternal thing. Now, I want to tell that story, and I want to tell another story. And the second story has to do with uh, being at the bedside of my dying dad. And at one point in time, dad had said to me, uh, you know, I'd sure just love to get out and walk the mountains one more time. Dad just loved the mountains that, you know, around greater Vancouver. And, uh, and I said to him, dad, I'll promise you, you and I will hike the mountains again. And that's because I wanted to communicate to him that after we die, we really don't lose anything. See, whether I'm talking about my marriage, and I know that my marriage will not survive my death, but my partnership with Kathy and my partnership with all other believers, that we will walk in the name of the Lord our God. That's not dying, and neither is hiking the mountains. Well, if you've been watching this series on heaven, you know that I've talked about the physicality of heaven, but this is the last of what I'm going to be talking about. I want to talk about what it's like to go on for eternity, specifically in regards to this. What are we going to lose after we die, and what are we not going to lose even though we die. So let me start with the second half of that equation. What are we sure that we're not going to lose even though that we die? So I'm gonna say, first of all, we know that death cannot take away our essential humanity. I, I love this verse from Job 19, verse 26, and I don't know where you date the book of Job. Uh, in my understanding, Job may have been among the very first books that are ever written, um, but Job 19, verse 26, Job is saying, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, that is, after I die and I've rotted into the earth, that is my body, after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job had a certainty of the bodily resurrection. I mean, that's as rooted in the scripture as any doctrine that you're going to find. That is, our bodies, these very same bodies, I've spoken about that, will continue to go on. 
That means what it means to be human with a full range of human emotions, human thoughts, and human experiences, human memories, human friendships. All of these things continue to go on. Well, I've often been asked questions about heaven, and one of the questions that people have asked me is, will I remember what happened here on earth? And I think what's behind the question is that sometimes people say, well, you know, will I remember the shameful moments? Will I remember my sin? Will I remember, you know, the pain that I bore needlessly? Am I gonna remember that stuff? And my response always is, look, when we talk about heaven, we're not talking about reincarnation. You know, in reincarnation, people come up in another life form and they can't actually remember that which they were before. It's not so with us. These self-same bodies will be transformed into an eternal body and we will remember. That is, there is a continuity of personhood. You won't lose who you essentially are. Something else I want to say that can't be taken from us by death. Death cannot take away from the believer our enjoyment of life. And here especially, I want to talk about the issue of time. I know that a lot of us say things like, you know, when we get to heaven, time will be no more. And I think we get that from Revelation 10, verse 6, actually from the King James Version's translation, which said, time will be no more. I think the King James didn't get the translation right. It simply says there will be no more delay in the coming of Jesus. That's, I think, all that says. Yet some people have remembered that we used to sing a hymn, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, as if somehow I enter into a new dimension and the sequential happening of events in my life are somehow erased. Time as I know it will now either stand still or in some fashion be somehow transformed. Is that a biblical doctrine? See, here's what I know for a fact. I think that the Bible never teaches that time will come to an end. And furthermore, I think there's something about the experience of time that is a basically human phenomenon. So let me take you to some passages. Isaiah chapter 66, 22 to 23 says, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship me. Now, notice in this passage, it talks about new moons, weekly Sabbaths, times of worship. That speaks about a sequential arrangement of things, very much like the world that we know today, except it's devoid of sin. Or let me read to you from Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Now, you know, I know some of us are going to say, "Well, well, maybe that's just symbolic. I mean, are there really months in heaven? And yet, when we hear the description of heaven in the Bible, we we notice spatial and time dimensions. We notice 12 months are mentioned, the marking of time, very much the way we do today. We get the impression of seasons and years. We get the impression that we don't become outside of time. God himself is outside of time. We remember, we continue to be individuals who are within time for all of eternity. We live eternally, and yet we are finite beings.
You know, some of the things that people think about or believers think about, I'm talking about those of us who have had our sins forgiven in Christ, who know the reality that the righteousness of Christ was imputed or transferred to us on the cross. We're forgiven. We've become the children of God. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us, and God has given us great and precious promises. We will forever be in his presence, and then the Bible tells us about heaven. And yet I've been with some believers who, at the point of death, I've stood with believers at their dying bedside, and some of them will express this, this sense of fear that they're going to lose so much. And so I like to talk about, what do you think you're going to lose? Maybe it's the thing that makes your life so precious now. Maybe it's the little things. It's the cup of coffee in the morning. It's the sun on your face. Maybe it's a hug from a dear old friend. Maybe it's uh, the fire uh, in a fireplace. Or uh, maybe it's just love and friendship. Or maybe it's just settling down and reading a book. Do you get to do all of that stuff? Or is that always removed from us? You see, those are the fears that some of us have. I'd like to tell a story about that. I have a dear friend who ministered to the dying for a great many years. And I remember going to, with him once at the bedside of a dying saint. And I'm gonna say his name was Fred. It wasn't his name, but I like to change names. Um, so, you know, the pastor said to Fred, Fred, um, you know, I've been thinking about when you retired way back when. And I wondered to myself, where's this conversation going? But the pastor went on and said, Fred, uh, when you got to retirement, I mean, what concerned you the most? And so they ended up in a dialogue and he said, you know, you're, the pastor said, you're about to get into another transition and what worries you the most? And suddenly out of this dying believer's mouth came these things that he was afraid that he would miss forever. And that gave him an opportunity to talk about the things that are not lost. So, so I want you to listen to what C.S. Lewis said in his book that's entitled The Weight of Glory. Here's what Lewis says. He says that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says we're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, and then he says, we're far too easily pleased. Now, uh, Lewis wasn't talking about heaven, but I wanna use that quote and apply it to heaven. You know, some of us have become so accustomed to making mud pies in the backyard, where you know, we're living in the mud pies in the backyard, and then we begin to wonder what it is about those mud pies that we might be missing. And we have not yet realized what God has. This holiday at the sea, these, these vistas that will go on, and you know, the, the beauty of the ocean waves pounding in will make everything that you've experienced up till now seem so dim in comparison. So in reality, I think what the scripture is saying is that, that we don't lose anything significant when we get to heaven. Now, here at this point in time, I want to address something that believers sometimes really struggle with. They'll say, yeah, but I do miss something. I know that there's no way to God but through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that unless we've come and confessed our sins in his presence and invited him to be our savior and Lord and trusted in his cross alone and thrown myself onto his unfailing grace, without that, there are no promises of heaven. And I have loved ones. I've got maybe a mom or a dad or a, a son or a daughter, or maybe I've got someone who's been a very close friend and I'm afraid that when I go to heaven, they won't be there and I don't know how I can ever get peace in my own soul. You know, that reminds me of a, of a time when, um, you know, Kathy was um, 
My wife Kathy is a nurse in a hospital and she had served with a fellow nurse and they had many conversations about the gospel. This was a time when we were moving and, and I saw the note that my wife left for her very dear friend at work who had become her friend and yet did not share her faith. And she wrote to her and she said, you know, the Bible promises me that when I stand before God, he's gonna wipe every tear from my eyes. But if I look around in heaven and I see your place vacated and you're not there, he's going to have to wipe the tears from my eyes because I don't know how to handle that. See, some of us have that deep inner sense of longing for our loved ones to be saved. And we wonder to ourselves, can it possibly be that I will lose nothing significant? Because even in this world where I've struggled for the salvation of my friends, at least while I'm still here, I can do that. But what if they never make it? What if I lose them? Then what? So I'm going to say something that I think might make some of us angry. Um, but I plead with you that you hear me out. Let me read it so that I make sure that I say it the way I've wanted to say it. The thing about heaven that excites me more than anything else is that ultimately and finally, I will love what God loves. And I will also be overwhelmed that all of God's ways and all of his deeds are vindicated in the end. We'll not look on those who have been eternally damned and wonder how God could have allowed such a thing to happen. We'll look carefully into the matters of grace and of justice and righteousness and we'll marvel that all of God's ways are right and that they are good. We will marvel and rejoice in the righteousness and the goodness of God, even though his righteousness means that he justly judges and consigns those who will not repent to their eternal damnation. First Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. There is something at our marveling at him who does all things well that will simply overwhelm the tears that we would have had. And if you think that means that heaven means that I'm somehow callous about those who didn't get there, it's not so. It is the overwhelming marveling at the goodness and the justice and righteousness, the holiness of God that will so overwhelm us that somehow we will come to understand the state of all things from within that perspective. It is a perspective that both loves and rejoices in the glory of God that awaits us. And we need to grasp firmly at that because it is that that makes us desire heaven even while we recognize the plight that is before those who will not believe. Every relationship in heaven is going to center on the glory of God. Uh, this is such an important issue. Now, as we live our lives here on this side of eternity, we are learning to center everything on the glory of God, that the ultimate value of all things is that the magnificence and uh, the, the, the ultimate of his presence would be known in every area of our lives. To learn to do everything to the glory of God is the great training ground that we're embarked in now. But when we pass through, all of the shades will be taken away and I will see truth for what it is. There is no greater value than that God would be glorified. So 
We will say, as Revelation 19, verse 2 says, for his judgments are true and just, even when he condemns the unredeemed. Well, I know there's so much to talk about in that, but I want to end by talking about a number of other things that you might think that you're going to miss when you go to heaven. I mean, you know, there's that question about marriage that sometimes people ask. Now, if you've got a bad marriage, you're not even asking the question. But if you've got a good marriage and you're walking with your spouse and there's love and intimacy and there's a partnership and a sense of common mission, there might be this deep sense of loss that this will be broken one day. Will I miss marriage? And the answer is, I think not. I think we will experience a different intimacy and a different pleasure at a different level in heaven that will leave even sexual pleasure but a shadow of that which is to come. That is to say, we will know joy as we have never thought joy was possible to know, and this will only be consigned to the land of shadows. I also know that when I get to heaven, there are a number of things I'm not going to miss. I know that on this side of eternity, even while I've received a new heart, you know, to be born again to means that we have received an eternal heart in us. That is, we long for the things of God. We find pleasure in the things of God. Our, our motivation is directed towards the things of God. And yet at the same time, I also know I struggle with the flesh. There's some things in my lower nature that I'm going to battle with all my life. I had a great prof when I was in seminary. He used to say, you know, how long are we going to continue to struggle with the, with the flesh? And he would say, we're going to continue to struggle with the flesh till about an hour after we're dead. We never trust warm flesh. And I suppose that's the case. But I know that I'm not going to miss struggling with the flesh. I'm not going to miss struggling with lower motives. I'm not going to miss sin. I'm not going to miss pain. I'm not going to miss debt. I'm not going to miss envy. I certainly am not going to miss loneliness. I'm not going to miss persecution. I'm not going to miss mourning and weeping. I, I, I come to realize that the things that are going to be taken from me are the things that I, in the end, will not miss. And the things that I gain will be only gained. All the things that are essential to my humanity will be there, but will be energized in a way that I've never known before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, the Apostle Paul asks a question. He says, we are now in a position to consider deeply and we're, we're able to answer it. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now, I need to say this from two different perspectives. If you've lost a loved one, if you're a parent who's lost a child, you say, I, I don't understand this verse because the sting of death is very real. You know, I, I can go into that empty room and say, my child is not there. You know, and we're still overwhelmed with sorrow. I had a very dear friend who lost his son, and, and he told me on one occasion, there'll be times I'll be thinking about nothing else, and suddenly it's like a, a wave of sorrow just washes over me from my behind, and I don't even know where it came from. But there it is, and I start weeping. And, and we say to ourselves, yeah, the, the, the sting of death was, is, is real. But understand this, the sting of death is real on this side of the grave. Those of us who have loved ones in Christ who have gone before us ought to remember that we're not weeping for them. It's so important to remember. You know, they are not the ones who are in sorrow. For anyone who has gone before you, their day today is a very good day. 
And if they had the opportunity, unlike what we see in the movies, you know, the movies you get people who go into heaven and they just long to come back. Not so with the people who are in glory. There is no longing for them to go back to the land of shadows, to the land of the dying. They have now embraced the land of the living and are filled with joy. See, that's the distinction. When we weep at a graveside, we're weeping for ourselves and the broken relationship or the loss of relationship. We're actually not weeping for a loved one who's in Christ. We need to remember that. So here's what I want to say. If you're grieving today over a parent, a child, a brother, a sister, friend, a colleague who died in the arms of a loving Savior, We need to remember that we will weep no more. Their lot is better than yours on this day, and it's far better, says the Apostle Paul. So however important these things are, and they are essentially important, we know that it is the calling of every single believer to live in the light of this hope. We need to constantly consider and put our eyes on Jesus, who the scripture says in in Hebrews, who for the, the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. You can do the same. You can keep your eyes fixed on the joy that is set before you, and because of the joy that lies before you, You can go through any difficulty today. You can bear through any hardship. You can struggle. You can suffer. And you can strive. Don't ever take your eyes off the prize. And in the end, when you think of the prize, think of the one who is seated on the throne. Think of the one before whom you will fall. And think of the day when you will say, you alone are worth all of the honor and all the praise and all the glory. See, that's the the wonder of the message of heaven. It is the motivation for Christian living today. It's what makes our life now meaningful. It tells us my life is not a dead end. My life is going towards an eternal goal. Welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John. Uh, John, thank you for your message today. Uh, uh, made me think about a number of things. But one of the things that comes to mind and probably a, a conversation that needs to be had before we finish is, uh, why do you think so many people, including uh, people who, who love the Lord, are fearful of death? I think a number of reasons, Ben. One of the reasons for our great fear is there are so many believers that have never taken the time to be taught or to study the issue of heaven. So they haven't built within themselves an awareness and they haven't directed all of their present events towards that future glory that is to be revealed. So not having lived that way, suddenly they're faced with the end of the road. They're in a cul-de-sac now and it's all going to close down. And that's, I mean, they, they, they just don't know what to do with that. Ben, you know, I know a guy that I was standing at his his dying bedside. He's about my age, walked with the Lord. And I said, you know, tell me about heaven. And what do you think about? He said, I've never thought about it my whole life. So I think that's one of the reasons. And the other thing is I think that we're afraid that, you know, there's something of my essential humanity that I'm going to lose. Interesting, you know, because I'm thinking there's so many of us as Christians, I think, are so fearful about losing what we have today. Yep. And I think that comes as a result of really no sense of understanding of the incredible things to come. Yeah. And by the way, once you start living for heaven, I mean, all the things that you hold on to on this earth, you can let go of 
far more easily because of the hope that's set before us. Great stuff. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for your series on heaven. We look forward to next week. And remember to join us right here on Truth and Life Today next week.